0: In my hardest moments where I just felt so toxic, I would just be sitting on the couch with Cody and my other dog, Izzy, and they would just be zonked out, sleeping, happy, like they didn't need anything else in the world. And it occurred to me that, that I didn't either. Dog people, thank you for coming back to Rescued by a Dog, the podcast about dogs who have actually saved their owners' lives. I am Laura, host of the podcast and author of the novel Not Just a Dog. Today's episode is sponsored by Operation Good Boy, a veteran owned and operated military grade dog gear and veterinary formulated supplement company. If you believe your pup deserves the highest quality gear, supplements, and treats, check out OperationGoodBoy.com and use the coupon code RESCUEDBYADOG10 at checkout for 10% off your order. Today, I'm flipping the script a little, and I'm going to tell my own story about struggles with debilitating chronic illness and how my dog Cody has helped me through. I'm actually really uncomfortable talking about my struggles in such a public way on my own podcast. It feels a little self-indulgent, but I had a few listeners urge me to do it, and I am honored and humbled to be able to share a little of my life with you. My good friend, the incredible dog trainer, Matt Beisner, is co-hosting today to interview me. So, thank you for loving dogs as much as I do. And here we go with my story. Hi, Matt.
1: Hi, Laura. In fact, I should say hi, Laura, because (laughs) I had this amazing opportunity to actually get to listen to your story today.
0: I'm so grateful that you're doing this. I feel a little uncomfortable talking about myself on my own podcast, but I've decided to do it, but I obviously can't interview myself. So you are a person who is one of my brethren, sistren in dog love. And I just feel like you and I share such a bond because of dogs. So I, <laughs> I appreciate you being the one to interview me.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I, as I said, I, f- I felt honored that you asked in your podcast, clearly is resonating with people uh, as evidenced by the, the, the success of it. So you've, you've touched a nerve, so to speak. And I think how great for people to get to chance, get a chance to meet the person who's touching their nerves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that is so sweet.
1: Laura, would you share with us what your dog's name is and what uh, he or she looked like?
0: Yes. So I have two dogs. I love them both with all my heart, but as with a lot of people, one of them is my heart dog, my best friend, just a piece of me. We're like one being together. And that is Cody. Cody is a 15 pound mutt. He is as mixy muddy as you can get. His DNA test said he was, let's see if I can get them all. Um, Minpen, Pomeranian, Boston Terrier, Pekinese, Cocker Spaniel, and other. So <laughs> he is very handsome dog. And when he goes to the dog park, he's kind of the he's the center of attention. Everybody wants to play with him. He's got all the moves. So he's just a fun, spunky little dude who has a lot of energy and a lot of love to give. And one person once told me he's um you know, dogs look like their owners uh, or act like their owners. When I first got him, someone said, you, you know, you remind me of each other. And I said, how? And they said, you're both small and excitable. (laughs) (laughs) How did
1: you find Cody?
0: When I moved to Vermont in 2015, I knew that I finally was going to get a dog in my life. So we found a place that we where we could have a dog before we moved to Vermont. Like I wasn't moving until I could find this. And then we started looking, and our landlord at the time said we had to have a dog that was that wouldn't bark. And so that's like that was that was the starting point. And I knew because I hadn't had a dog in so long, I needed one that was potty trained. Cause I um I just didn't have that much experience with dogs. And I knew I wanted a little dog because I just love to throw a dog in the back of the car and drive all over the country with with my husband Andy. So we found a dog an hour and a half away at a rescue, um, drove up to meet him. We were just going to go look at him. We had plans to have our anniversary dinner that night at a fancy restaurant. And um, that anniversary dinner never happened. We showed up at the rescue and this little skinny god he was so skinny. He was like nine pounds. He's 15 now. So super, super skinny dog came. They brought him out to meet us and he was super anxious and he just we put a leash on him and tried to take him for a walk. He wasn't great on a leash, didn't know what to do. So um, we felt like we were stressing him out. So we were like, let's just sit down in a field and see what happens. And he immediately jumped in Andy's lap. That was the first move. And then just sat there looking anxious. And we were like, "Welp, we're canceling dinner. <laughs> and we took him home and he was so anxious. They said he was about a year old. I think he was younger. I think there was still a lot of puppy in him. He had come from a home. All that we knew was that he had been found running down the highway and he had run down the highway away from his home several times. And we know there was another dog living there. I don't know what their relationship was, but I I don't think it was great. And whenever he'd reach to touch him, he would flinch like this poor little dude. I mean, after we first got him, Matt, I was like, I've ruined his life. He whined all day. He wanted to be right next to me right next to me like couldn't stand to be anywhere else but he whined and it was he would look around like he was looking for I don't know whoever had been kind to him in his life I think at the rescue they were super kind to him so he was looking around for that and we we tried to crate him the first few nights um outside of our bedroom I was like I'm not sleeping with the dog there's no way I can't sleep well anyway so we put him in a crate and he howled all night long. And finally one night, poor thing broke out of his crate, which is super dangerous because you can like choke yourself breaking out of a crate, right? You know, like trying to shimmy through an opening that you've made. And when we went downstairs in the middle of the night, we found him sitting on the couch and he sort of looked at us like, okay, if you let me just sleep here, I don't need to sleep in the bed. I just can't be in that crate. And so He slept on the couch then for a few weeks and that went really well, but I would wake up at like 4.30 in the morning worrying about him and go downstairs. And then uh, about a month into having him, we went on a trip and he slept in the bed with us and that was it. We were, we were done. He slept in the bed from then on and his anxiety went away. As soon as he started sleeping in bed, he was like, you and me, it's you and me forever. And we quickly became so close that over time, like he made it his job to learn me. He, he needed a job and his job became to learn me and my moods and my needs and what I was doing and learn language that I was saying. And just that was enough for him, which always amazes me about dogs. Like how how is that enough for a dog that has to stay inside all the time, except when I'm walking him four times a day. But that just was the job that he wanted to do. And he would. He started sleeping, the other sign that he was he was all in. And this happened even before his anxiety went away. The whining was the main thing that really affected me. And it was all day. Whenever he was awake, he was whining. That is, it must be like when your baby cries all the time. I mean, I know it's not like that because babies are humans, but I am a dog parent. So I put all my maternal instincts into my dogs. So listening to your dog cry all day, is heartbreaking. He started, I would work on the couch every day. I worked from home and I would work on the couch every day. And he would nestle between me and the couch with his belly up. And he would sleep next to me, spread eagle, unabashed. And he would fall so deeply asleep while I was working. And I think he was like recovering from everything he'd been through for a year. And that deep sleep to me just looked like so relaxed that I knew he felt okay being with us. Wow. And he was so skinny. He just wanted to eat and eat and eat. And you just can't feed a dog that skinny all day long. So, and he had so much puppy energy still. So I remember I would take a piece of kibble and throw it across the the room. He would go get it. He'd come back to me. I would throw another one because this would stop him from whining, use some of his energy but it would give him enough energy that he could do this for. And that was in addition to his regular meals that he was getting, that he just wolfed down. So I had to figure out what to, do. I remember calling my best friend, who's a dog, a very ex- experienced dog person. And I said, what did dogs do all day? <laughs> it was confounding to me. And she just laughed. She was like, I don't know. Like they just learned to self-soothe at some point and he had no ability to self-soothe and I didn't have the ability to soothe him. So I just was throwing kibble across the room until he would calm down. And then I swear, someone told me it takes about a month for a dog to like, for their cortisol to come down when they get out of a bad situation. And it it was like this magic period. So I would always tell other people now, like, just give it a month because it's going to change after a month even if it doesn't, even if all the issues don't go away, it's going to change.
1: So my, one of my big questions here is how Cody has saved your life. And I, and I understand in the context of this, this really beautiful and deep podcast that you have created for, for people that you may not compare your stories in weight to others. Um, but there's no doubt that this dog has changed your life irre- irrevocably.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I like how you put that. I just don't. I. I. I don't. I think it's really important for me this time in the in this context not to compare the weight of it to other stories because I will. I tend to minimize things in my own mind. But what I know is that I don't know how I could have emotionally survived the last 3 years of my life without Cody in it and my other dog and they serve very different purposes i don't want to say serve purposes that sounds like they're tools but they they fill different emotional needs for me but i'm going to focus on Cody so i i went through a lot of trauma in the last 5 years and i won't get into all the trauma here cuz some of it is personal but Then in 2020, the pandemic happened, which was difficult for all of us. And I got COVID before the vaccine. So I got the gnarly kind of COVID in July of 2020 on my way to Austin to take a job. And it wiped me out like nothing. I have never felt such crushing fatigue in my life. I missed my first day on site for the job because I was sick and A week and a half later, I just showed up for it and I worked in an animal shelter. It was the most rewarding work I've ever done. It was also, it was also emotionally incredibly crushing to me. There is, I am so grateful for everyone who does the work of animal welfare, particularly on the ground in shelters, but shelters are in crisis right now. I think we all know that. And it was my job to decide which dogs needed to be euthanized sometimes. And then when I did that, I'd have to go to the euthanasia and I would hold the dog's head in my hand and I would kiss the dog on the forehead. It still makes me cry. And, um, and these were at the shelter that I worked at. These were dogs that were not savable. And even still, because we were, it was a no kill shelter. And so these were dogs with behavior problems that we had tried to rehab and couldn't, but I still knew them. They were still my friends. They were dogs that I hadn't, my team had known and worked with and, and being part of the team that had to decide, which I was at times in a position of advocating for us to euthanize a dog because I knew that the dog's behaviors were too dangerous. And to advocate to kill a dog when you are a person who decided to have dogs rather than children is a burden that I wasn't prepared for. I think, I think the way to put it is this is my dog. Do you hear my dog dreaming? If You can hear that. That's Izzy dreaming. Hold on. I'm just going to stop her. It's so cute.
1: That's amazing. I can hear the dreaming somewhere in a REM cycle. There's a squirrel that's getting caught <laughs>
0: Andy likes to say she chases Dobermans in her dreams. She's also 15 pounds. Um, It is hard to manage a large team of people doing work that requires them to be so emotionally invested in and know that they can't save every animal. That is incredibly difficult to manage and I'm an empath. So I'm super porous. I take in everybody else's emotions. I take into myself and that's part of why I love animals so much. And I thought I'm going to go into this job and I'm going to make everything better for, for everyone there. And I tried so hard. And in some ways I did and I didn't succeed in other ways. And that was something that's that stayed with me too, that I couldn't fix everything in the entire field of animal welfare. (laughs) You know, like that would, that's the goal. And it, I know so many people making big progress on that, but I was just carrying around these burdens every day. And meanwhile, I was um I had no immune system. So I I unbeknownst to me, I got parasites from the shelter. Most people can just process them right out. I can't. I couldn't because I had no immune system to move things through me. So I I got parasites and I also um was exposed, exposed to mold and I got mold poisoning. And my, I was just getting sicker and sicker and didn't know why. And I kept pushing through it, working extremely long, difficult weeks until at the end of a couple years, my body stopped. My body just stopped working. And the catalyst for it was my favorite dog at the shelter. She had lived in my She'd lived in my office for nine months, Bridget, you know, you knew Bridget. She had found a foster during COVID and, and then the foster had to bring her back to the shelter because she, they had to go back to work. And that happened to so many dogs and her stress levels in shelter were so high that we had to give her medications for her for her stress. And we had to give her pain medications because we had taken her in when she jumped off a third story balcony and broke her legs. And um, we we did surgery and repaired them, but the pain never went away. She had hip dysplasia and some things. So she was on pain meds and she was on stress meds and her liver gave out. Her liver gave out while she was back in the shelter, not even back in a home. So I, I quit my job knowing that I was Not emotionally or physically well. And I decided I was just going to help this one dog, just going to help her. And as soon as I started really focusing on her, I realized how much pain she was in and that she, it, it wasn't okay that, that to keep her alive. I, I realized that she was going downhill very quickly. You know, when you have, when you have a dog going into liver, liver failure, it happens so quickly and she's a dog who would, would push through things sometimes. So we didn't know how bad it was. So I adopted her. She couldn't live with my dogs, So I adopted her and lived in a house with her for a weekend. And then, and then we euthanized her. And um, that was at the tail end of doing this hard work with COVID, with parasites in me and with mold growing inside me. <laughs> And my body just decided it wasn't going to work anymore. And I ended up earlier this year um, being bedridden for three months. Through all this, my dog, Cody, he's so sensitive too. He's porous as well. And he was constantly by my side, constantly aware that I wasn't feeling well and just wouldn't, even more than normal, would not leave me. He would, when I started having a panic attack, he would come and lay on me, like on my chest. And it would make him anxious too, which sometimes made me more anxious. (laughs) But the empathy was just so beautiful. He would just lay on me and look at me in the eyes like, mommy, just be here with me. I'm here. He didn't know what to do. He wasn't like one of those dogs that would lay on you and just feel calm and put their head on your shoulder. He would look at me like, we have to fix this. This is terrible. We have to fix this. I was just a destroyed mess. And somehow he still, his number one goal in life was to find ways to let me know that he was here for me. Until during the three months that I was bedridden, I would, many days, I didn't leave the I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't even take him for a walk. And he stopped he would go for a walk maybe two times a day. He, he normally goes for four or five walks a day. He loves walks, loves it. It's his favorite thing in the world. So my husband was taking him for all the walks. He just didn't want to go because <laughs> he just wanted to make sure on my hardest. It was always my hardest days. He just wouldn't leave me. And so I had these moments of bliss, you know, when your whole life is kind of stripped away from you and you can't socialize and you can't drive and you can't work because the brain fog is just so intense. Um, my long COVID was was activated and that was one of the hardest parts of it. Um, and I was treating the parasites and I was treating the mold and those meds are really hard. So in my hardest moments where I just felt so toxic that I could, I would go from the bed to the couch and back to the bed. And that was all I could do. And some days couldn't even watch TV because my brain was so hurt, was so overwhelmed and so foggy and so tired. I couldn't even look at a TV screen. I would just be sitting on the couch with Cody and my other dog, Izzy, who is just a little Zen master. She doesn't, she doesn't have a brain cell in her brain, doesn't even know her name, but that dog is so calm and so chill. And I would just be sitting there with them and look at them and think, my God, this is a beautiful moment. I am so complete right now because I have Cody. His spot is between my legs sitting on the couch, legs out. He's between them. Izzy's spot is next to me. They never move those spots and they would just be zonked out, sleeping, happy. Like they didn't need anything else in the world. And it occurred to me that, that I didn't either, you know, like it. those moments like reset all the priorities in my life, I am a different person. And I, I swear it's because of Cody and Izzy teaching me that I wasn't being enough of a dog. (laughs) Like I was, I just need, I just need to be more like a dog. And even if, instead of like getting in my head about whether or not I'm ever going to have a normal life, just like be in that normal moment with them and realize that it's perfect. Thank you
1: for sharing and, and that level of vulnerability and your description of everything that was going on and that the only tenable solution was to just be present. The only antidote was to be present with your dog.
0: The only antidote. It's so crazy because there were days, there were weeks There were at least a couple months where I was sure that I was dying. There was no, and my husband was worried too. There was no other explanation and we tested me for everything. And for many people, as it turns out, having, when you have long COVID, it's often combined with other issues. That's why long COVID takes over some people and it doesn't take over others. So I had, um, I was already experiencing extreme anxiety, mold exposure, parasites, and then COVID took over my body. And I didn't realize, although I do now, and I, so this is my PSA, but I didn't realize that long COVID can make you feel like you're dying. Like take a formerly healthy person and turn them into an incapacitated human who can't leave the bed I say all that to say when I was at my worst, there were days when I felt so sick. It's hard to explain to someone how sick you can feel, <laughs> but there there were days I told Andy, um, and this is extraordinary because I am a liver. I'm a life lover. I love life so much, but there were days when I told Andy, if you told me this is how I would feel for the rest of my life, I would rather not be alive. This is not a suicidal thought. It's just like... I had no vitality. I felt toxic from head to toe. I couldn't do anything except lie in bed with my dog. But somehow that—that that was enough to get me through that time. You know, and friends make themselves scarce. Some, like I, you know, it's, nobody knows what to say to you. Have had a couple friends who showed up so strongly for me so beautifully and others that didn't know what to say because every time they talked to me I had like a flat affect I had no, I had nothing to give to them and so they understandably peaced out for a while and your dogs just don't peace out
1: <laughs> yeah isn't that something yeah <laughs> yeah your dogs don't just peace out
0: not only do they not peace out they step up, right? Yeah. Friends will friends will try to step up, but there's it's awkward. They don't know exactly what to say or what to do. And your dog's like, "That's okay. I know what to do now. I've got this."
1: That's that's like the that is uh, these two words shouldn't go together, but that is the hardcore divine in a dog. Yes, you know, that in spite of everything that humans have done or not done for me. I am gonna show up like a mother. Yeah. you can't stop me.
0: You can't stop me.
1: yeah. So to keep people, including myself, current, how are you feeling today and what's the arc of your of your days like now?
0: Yeah, that's a nice question. What's interesting about when you have a chronic illness, And I've interviewed a couple people for this podcast and they all have the same experiences that when you start getting better, everyone's like, oh, good, you're better. We can do all these things again. Um, You're back to normal. And it's just it's not like that. It's not like that for chronic illness. It's not like that for the people I've spoken to that have been recovering from cancer. You get to a point where, you know, you're not dying. And then there's a very long road ahead. And I'm in the middle of that long road right now. And I'm doing some incredible work on, um, neural retraining, one of these, um, limbic system retraining programs that is changing my life. Um, and I'm, I'm found the doctors that I need now. So I am walking my dog again and I am going to the movies today. I told my friend I had to go to a four 30 showing because she said, can we go to a six 30 movie? And I was like, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to a 6.30 movie. I'll be in bed at seven. On Saturday, I hung out with four friends. I couldn't socialize for three months. And seeing four friends just filled me up. And then I had to stay home for three days after. Even the fact that I'm talking to you with some vitality in my voice is like, you spoke to me several months ago, and I think, I hope I sound different from then.
1: Yeah, well, your spirit is always there. You said something I want to draw a parallel to, and that is it is terrifying to not know what's inside you. And I would suggest that that was Cody's experience before he landed with you.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And it appears to me that Cody has coached you in how to be present. And so that, uh, that practice of being present is what makes today's conversation possible because being present is not (laughs) being present is not the same thing as being balanced. No. The wonderful Shunru Suzuki. There's a, there's a beautiful book, the crooked cucumber, a biography of his life. There's a moment towards the end of his life where his, his students take him to a watering hole. He agrees to go to a watering hole. He had never learned how to swim. And, uh, and he jumps in with his robes on. So predictably, he drowns, you know, like the, the water's pulling him down. And his students save him and resuscitate him. And uh, when he could t- t- talk again, he said, you know, I almost missed it. He said, I was watching my body go through this terrifying, deadly experience. And I forgot about how to be present. And I almost missed watching what it was to be me in this moment.
0: Whoa, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. There's something so real in that, and it first, you made me think of Cody and how when i'm when I'm having a panicky moment, he stands on me and looks at me, and he isn't balanced in that moment. I know it. He's stressed. I'm stressed. He's stressed, but he is desperate for me to be in the moment with him. And sometimes that's enough to shake me out of where I am. But also there is something about going through a difficult time that makes you so much more grateful for being alive. And I feel that so deeply. I feel such intense gratitude. But like, even when I was, when I was super sick, I wasn't depressed. (laughs) My dad had to come take care of me for a week because my husband was traveling and I couldn't do anything for myself. I couldn't take out the trash. I couldn't cook my meals. I couldn't do anything. And so he did all those things for me. And he, at one point, was expressed that he was confused about why I was so okay. <laughs> and I became less okay as I got healthier, actually. But when I was at my sickest, I just was so... In the moment, I was present with myself, like almost too much. I was aware of everything going on in my body, but like the moments with my dogs, that's why, God, it still makes me cry because they were so real for me. But as I was the most sick, like when he was drowning, when that guy was drowning, you can be most present almost.
1: If your dog could understand, if Cody could understand English, and maybe you want to let both dogs be spoken for here, if your dogs could understand English, what would you want to say to them?
0: God, I just tell them all the time, I love you, and they know it? They know exactly what it means. I have no question. Izzy doesn't understand a word, but when I tell her I love her, she knows exactly what it means. Cody is so smart that he listens to me speak English all the time and he understands me. But if I could if I could really convey something to him that he can't already understand, I would tell him that he is the greatest gift that I have ever received in my life. My dog and my husband. Two two creatures that love me unconditionally. But we'll focus on the dog. Sorry, Andy. And I would just tell him that he has shown me how to love properly and how to live properly. And he will be with me for the rest of my life. He has also agreed to live as long as I do. And I'm going to live till I'm 100. So he has to live 51 more years. Um, So he's got a lot of hard work to do there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We will, we will stay tuned on that one. That's a lot of seasons of the podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I would like to ask, on his behalf, if there's something that he could say to you that you would understand, what do you think it would be?
0: You know, Cody would just tell me, I will always do every single thing I can to make sure that you're okay. <laughs> He's made it his life's mission, and he thinks we're one being. He doesn't think there's a separation between us in terms of our spirits, and there's there's not. The first time we took Cody to a beach... you get to see who your dog is when they're at the beach, you know? Like, do they run straight for the water? Do they run straight for the other dogs? And Cody just ran. And he's fast. He's like a greyhound. He's like a tiny little greyhound. And he ran so far, but he now knows that he can't go farther than I can see him. So as soon as he starts getting that far, I'll be like, hey Cody. And then he turns around and then he runs back to me just as fast, just as fast, but he doesn't stop. He keeps going past me the other way. There's a song I sing for him. Whenever I'm feeling so much love for him, I sing, I sing him the song and he gets sleepy eyes real sleepy and then he yawns every time and by the end of it he's put his head down
1: would you be willing to sing a little bit of that for us
0: <laughs> oh my gosh uh okay it's let me ask
1: the listeners we're gonna text to vote vote is overwhelmingly yes
0: <laughs> it's super short anyway it goes I love you Cody oh yes I do I love you Cody oh yes it's true I love you, Cody. Yes, I do. Oh, Cody, I love you.